things girlfriends share. Welcome to Girlfriend It, hosted by women for women on a variety of topics most relevant to our daily lives. Weekly, we have incredible, inspiring, and influential guests as we explore everything from why ambitious women don't quite reach their full potential to how we deal with the dailiness of life. Together, we will hear compelling stories of other individuals in hopes of one thing. How do we get to know ourselves? Welcome. Well, it's Christmas time, and for whatever reason, we decided to take this time and talk about monsters. And we hope that uh, those of you who are out there, you don't believe in monsters, but as reasonable adults, uh, we we know that they are fake, hopefully. Uh, the monsters of the fairy tales, movies, Netflix, uh, whatever is out there. But we also know that they can be um, pretty powerful at times. And in the dark, they can hunt us, make us feel small, weak, and vulnerable. And so we have Luke Norsworthy with us today. He has his master's in divinity. He's the senior pastor of a mega church in Westover Hills Church of Christ in Austin, Texas, uh, where he lives with his wife and three daughters. So Luke, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you on the show today. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and Luke, we get to watch you there. You got the Christmas tree in the background and the fireplace going. It looks all warm and cozy. Uh, so tell us, you are the one that started this whole monster conversation. Where did it come from? And what made you decide to write an entire book on monsters? Well, in the very room that you can see behind me, I was sitting here one night with my wife. We're watching something on TV, which I couldn't remember. And our youngest daughter comes around the corner. She's got her uh, love in her hand and she goes, dad, daddy, there's a sketty monster in my room. <laughs> uh -oh. like, okay. Well, you know, that's my daughter. I probably need to do something about this. And so I get up, I pick her up, I carry her into a room just around the corner there. We get in a room. So, all right, well, let's find this sketty, as you call it, sketty monster. And so I look under her bed and look in her closet. And say, I don't, I don't see any sketty monsters. Where is it? And she points up at the ceiling where there's a red light. She goes, there's the eye of the Sketty monster. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's actually not a Sketty monster that's trying to destroy you. It's actually something there for your benefit to save you. It's, it's a smoke detector that I had just changed the battery on. So it's changed the, the light went from green to red or red to green. And uh, I thought that's like, that's a fitting metaphor for a lot of things that we're most afraid of, that we're most scared of. Um, they might not actually be out to destroy us, but they might actually be warnings intended to save us. And if you look at the Latin, which I know all three of you read probably a lot of Latin. Um, the Every Latin, day. Yeah. yeah. I knew it. I could yeah, just tell. I speak it. <laughs> the actual uh, Latin word from which we get the English word monster literally just means to warn. And so monsters from their very inception have always been warnings intended not to destroy us, but to save us. Mm. Oh. So I, 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 I feel like that with um, just in, in the car, when I think about my kids driving, and someone told me years ago, your biggest fear as a parent are your children driving. So that's my, that was my monster for years. And then my daughter would call me and she'd be like, mom, somebody just uh, cut in front of me and I cussed him out or whatever. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's precious. And uh, I realized then that Somebody told me years ago, sometimes that's God's way of just getting your car to slow down so that you do not end up in a major accident. 
And so I love that monsters to warn because that really does take all the fear out of it. Mm. Yeah, well, my oldest daughter is 12, and so she's not driving yet. But the thought of her, and maybe not her specifically, but one of her two younger sisters driving, she's very <laughs> terrifying to me. So I can I can sympathize with that uh, uh, as I prognosticate what the future is going to be like. Part of what those fears do is they remind us that we aren't in control. And mm. Barbara Ramsdale has this great line where she says, we never lose control. We lose the illusion that we ever had control because the control that I want to have to keep my daughter safe whenever she starts driving, I, I can't do that. I'm not really strong enough, powerful enough, influential enough to make everyone obey traffic laws. I can't make her never look at her phone while she – there are things that I can't do. And so I've had this illusion that I could protect my daughters from a lot of things that I, I really can't. And you know, I, I, you know, my daughters are in cheer and, you know, I, I want every coach that they have in cheer to be someone who's reputable and upstanding. And they've all had good experiences so far, but I, I know there's some bad ones out there who are going to be around my kids or teachers or youth pastors, whoever. And for as much as I want to, like, protect them from all these things, maybe that fear, that monster that I have is really God's invitation to go, you never were in the first place. Mm. And that's that's scary. I don't like that. I'd rather be in control, but I, I don't have that. God's never given me that kind of control. Yeah. And for a control freak, that's <laughs> hard. That's it's hard. not fun at all. It's absolutely uh, not fun. What do you think uh, are some other monsters? Like what, cause I, <clears throat> being a control freak uh, monster is definitely, I think most women can relate to that and connect there. Um, and you always, when you think of monsters, you think of the, the green eyed envy monster. And yeah. that's the first thing that, you know, came to mind when, when I, I saw your book, what are, what are some more monsters that we deal with? Well, I, I think envy is a, is a pretty good one. Or maybe the word I would use for it is comparison mm-hmm. where you look at someone else and you think, well, that's, um, I, I, that's what I would like. That's what I would like to, to do. That's how I like my life to look. And the thing about life is it's really, it's really tough to answer some of the more foundational questions that really define us. Uh, I'm not a mom. I am a dad. And I live with a mom, uh, specifically my wife, uh, just for all your listeners who know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. We'll and the answer, the answer to the question of like, how am I doing as a father or as a parent? It's really hard. Like it's an abstract question. Like mm-hmm. what do I do? So the easiest thing for me to do is to look at the parents around me and go, well, this is what they're doing and this is what they're giving their kids. And this is how quickly they've taught them how to read or to ride a bike or whatever it is or how well they're driving. And what I find myself doing is I I can look around me and go, well, these things seem like an answer to the question of how am I doing? What happens when you compare yourself to other people is that you're trying to gain balance in an unwieldy and wobbly thing called life on something that is just as equally as unbalanced and wobbly as you. Mm-hmm. And when you find yourself on the sliding scale of comparison, you're going to find people that are better than you when you look up and worse than you when you look down. That's just how it goes. Yeah. There's, there's a story about King David and Saul. And Saul was kind of finishing up his career as the leader of Israel, um, the king. And so the Israelites would sing this song about the new guy coming in and said, Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands about you i don't know how many people you've killed in battle but a thousand seems like a lot and saul should have been like well you know that's a successful career as a soldier 
But instead, he saw someone with 10,000. He goes, well, I'm insignificant compared to them. And I think that's what comparison does. It puts us on the this, this sliding scale of identity in which we, we're never able to really answer the question of who I am. Because I, I think what God is trying to do when we start to compare is remind us that you do need to look to something to answer those questions. But it's not other people. You need something stable, something that can truly tell you who you are. And it's not how you stack up to other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. And that's that's so good, Luke. Just as a reminder, and, and I know, um, I'm, I think I am fabulous. Let's just put that out there. And <laughs> I'd uh, agree. I'd wow! Agree. Wow! Wow! Patty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I can go. All right, you know, my Christmas tree. You know, it's it's amazing. It's, and then as soon as like if I even go into Debbie or Christette's home. Yeah. Did you see this? It's over the top. Like their homes are over the top. And we all know I I should go over there and just be like, this is amazing. I love that I can go into their homes and appreciate the beauty that they have there. But it it's just weird how you get into that where you're like, eh, I should have done that. And oh, I should have done more. And it's ridiculous, right? That we even get into that comparison game. And yeah, and then the fact that what you said, so then we look at the people who don't have a home as nice and beautiful as ours. It's like, well, at least it's better than that. So I must be okay in the rankings, you know? Um, <laughs> where where do you get that that balance? Like why? And, yeah. and this, the thing too is with social media, we're comparing it to these little squares. And I, I just saw that somewhere where quit comparing yourself to the squares on your phone and start going into the rectangles of letting people in your home, into your doorway. That's what we should be focusing on is those relationships rather than this weird faux fake whatever is going on there. I, I know in November I, I decorated my Christmas tree. Well, actually it's I was lying. It was before Halloween when I decorated my Christmas tree because I just love Christmas. And I, my friends gave me such a hard time um, in, in doing that. But I figure, hey, the, quit comparing. You do your, your thing. You do you. I'll, yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. So what in your book, you talk about this, Luke, and what some of the things that because you have, you know, beautiful scripture that follows through with this comparison game that we play? Mm-hmm. Well, Patty, first of all, our Christmas tree has been up since well before Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> like some others, we're like, you know, we're ready for 2020 to be over. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to fast track this and just put the Christmas tree up. We're, we're ready to go. This has been quite a year for us, as it has for many. Um, so no judgment on having yours up super early either. <laughs> Thank, but you. There's, Thank you. Thank there, <laughs> you. There's a story about Jonah that he encounters a monster. And many know the story of Jonah that he's this prophet who runs away from what God wants him to do, and he gets swallowed by this massive fish, which Sunday school taught me that it's a whale, so I'm going to trust that that's right. He gets swallowed by a whale, and we look at the story of Jonah, and we think the most monstrous thing that consumes Jonah is this fish, this whale. Mm. But the real story about Jonah is not really about the fish. It's not about what, what swallowed him in, in the water. It's about the hatred that swallowed his heart. Mm. And Jonah reminds us that the real monster isn't what you usually see, but it's what's underneath the surface. And so when I find myself comparing myself to other people, and we all are tempted to do it, and especially with social media, you're so right to say that. The real thing isn't 
typically what's on the surface. You got to go deeper. You got to go underneath the surface to find the real issue. And the real issue when, when I'm comparing myself to someone else, it's not about them. It, it, it's never about what they have or what they don't have, what they've experienced or what they didn't experience. It's really about my inability to listen to what God says about who I am. When I'm trying to find my measure of worth based on someone else, it's because I'm not staying in my own lane listening to what God has already said about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a story about Jesus where Jesus is baptized by his cousin, and he comes up out of the water, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. The voice says, this is my beloved son. And Jesus hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't raised anyone from the dead. He hasn't preached any sermon. He hasn't done anything. And I think that's a fitting reminder that we all hear the voice of God when we slow down and listen mm. that you are God's beloved before you've done anything, before you got your kids to be the perfect drivers, before they got into the right college, before they did the right things, before anything, before you've accomplished anything, God still looks at you and goes, this is my beloved daughter or son. Mm. And every time we compare ourselves, we're trying to get some small distorted voice to say, hey, you're good. You've got this going on. You figured it out. But if we slow down and listen to what God says about us, yeah. that's divorced from our performance. That, that's the unique thing is that everything else is based on performance. The voice of God isn't on that. Yeah. My five-year-old daughter uh, a couple of years ago heard me say one of my like ritual things that I say to them, just like my parents said to me, is, you know, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And my daughter, who was five at the time, said, Dad, why are you proud of me? What have I done? Mm-hmm. And by her fifth rotation around the sun, she already knew to ask the question that everyone in this world does, that my love, my, my adoration, my acceptance, my worth is tied to my performance. Mm-hmm. And that's what comparison perpetuates. Mm-hmm. But if you befriend the monster of comparison, you start to listen to something else that's more rooted and grounded and stable so that you finally know who you are. And I think that's how you befriend the monster of comparison. I think it's interesting that as a man, you have that because um, as women, I think we are super guilty of uh, condemning ourselves, condemning each other. And um, I think it's really interesting that you are in touch with your feminine side, that you get that whole, even though you don't look it, but that you get that whole, you. um, you know, most men have such humongous egos and but maybe in, inside they're this it's obviously the same thing we feel i'm i'm not worthy i'm not good enough yeah well i, I think everyone just does it in their own unique way and you know if it's not you know stereotypical masculine or feminine stuff it doesn't matter it's still the same question when you introduced me you mentioned the size of the church that i uh, that i lead and i i think of when i started preaching I followed a guy, this interdenominational Bible study when I was 21 years old. And so when I was a young preacher, I tried to figure out how do I answer the question of, are you a good preacher? And so I compared myself to the person before me because mm-hmm. he was the person before me at this thing. And I didn't realize this guy would eventually leave, take over this small little church outside of Dallas that would grow to be like 12,000 people. And his name is Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in Dallas at the church called The Village. <laughs> and, and Matt's, you know, Matt's good people. Matt and Lauren, wonderful people, big fans of theirs. Uh, and this has nothing to do with him, but from an early age, like I was trying to answer that question of how am I doing? And I compared myself to this guy who I didn't realize would become this rock star. Yeah. And so whatever size my church is, some people say, well, that's a big church or a small church, but whatever it is, I look at what Matt's done and I go, well, he's so much better than me. And that, that's not helpful for who I'm supposed right. to be. Like God's never going to say at the end of my life, Hey Luke, how come you weren't a better version of Matt? Yeah. I think God will look at me and go, Hey, 
how come you weren't a better version of Luke? Yeah. I think yeah. it's a question we're all going to be asked. And so I, I think it, it transcends the stereotypical masculine and feminine uh, roles. And I think it's just a universal human thing to, to try to answer that awkward question of how am I doing by looking at other people? Yeah. yeah. And that you live with three, uh, four women. Yeah, that, that is also part of it, I was going to say. So right. I'm glad you picked that up, Debbie. <laughs> what are some other tools, um, Luke, that you suggest we use when we recognize those trigger points and those messages that we're using to compare ourselves to? Once we go, start down that road, what are some things that you can um, suggest to help us get back in our lane? Oh, that's, that's a good question. First thing, like I already said, like it's rarely what is the issue that presents. Like for me, it, it's never about Matt. For King Saul, it's never about David. For you, it's not, it's not about that person. Obviously, you know that intuitively. Right. The monster is always underneath the surface, right? So the monster is always – what you typically see first is a prop. Prop is a, a, above the surface. If you do the work, you go underneath the surface, and you can finally figure out what the real issue is. And what you find when the real issue is presented to you is often who you want to be, who I want to be, is often just on the other side of where I want to give up. Mm. And so the monster says, this, this is the work you need to do. But th my friend Annie has this great line that I adapted it. But her thing was, like, often uh, who I want to be is just on the other side of where I want to give up. And for me, it's when I hear comparison, it's a reminder that you need to find yourself rooted in something much deeper than this. But for me, I like to say shallow. I like to look at the surface. I like to look at social media. I like to be distracted by sports or, or entertained by comedy or whatever like Netflix has given me. The invitation for me is I, I got to go underneath the surface and befriend these things and acknowledge this is part of who I am. And if I, if I befriend them enough, eventually the voice of God shows up and invites me to someplace better. Because go back to the story of Jonah. Jonah has this experience. He's swallowed by this, this fish, which is the prop in the story. God eventually says, how come you don't want to go preach to these people? And he expressed, I, like, I hate these people. That's why I don't want to go there. And God says, are, are you going to be angry if my mercy and love extends to these people? And Jonah goes, yeah, I'd rather die. He says that three times. I'd rather die than this happen. And I think some of us go, I'd rather die than to do the work it would take for me to divorce myself from my way of life. Yeah. Because I want to give up right here, but who I need to be is just on the other side of where I want to give up. So to answer your question succinctly, Never look at the surface, but once you get under the surface, it's going to be uncomfortable, but don't give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. I, that is great. And I, I so relate to that. It's, it's funny because, and, and especially with you being a senior pastor, we all have those waves, but I did women's ministry for years and years and years. And Christette did as well. And I know there was a point where someone was asking me, you know, what, what do you love? Like, what has, has God given to you that it's just your calling and, and you love doing this? And I, I realized I reached a point in my life. I was like, I don't know. Cause I really don't like women. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And but like you said, you have to dig deep. And you know, that was, you never ask somebody after they do a retreat, right? Where you have women going, you know, this wasn't ketos and this, you needed more protein in the mill. <laughs> it's like, I don't even like doing ministry anymore. But I, I so relate to Jonah because of that, where you're like, no, I, I would rather be out here drinking lemonade and enjoying my friends, you know, my little small, you know, holy huddle rather than over here serving the masses. And that's when you, you have to unpack some of that to go, why am I really doing this? Am I doing it for me? 
am, am, do I think I'm going to get famous doing this <laughs> or what is it here? And I love that. It's like digging deeper to go, okay, God, I am, I'm purging it. And I really want to do what you call me to do. And I also just recently, I was with a group of moms and they were doing the comparison with the potty training. Oh. And it made me even think of that where so often when we're in that, that stage of life, we're in that comparison. And then years, it might even be two years later, you can't even remember. I mean, every kid, they don't go to college still wearing a diaper. I mean, it's yeah. going to happen. And I wanted so badly. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and then you're our age and you start getting your diapers back out again. But <laughs> you, I, I just okay. wanted to go, you guys. Oh, sister. I'm kidding. yourself to here. It's not going to matter. So, yeah. so many things that we beat ourselves up over really doesn't make any difference in, in the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. And, and we've got to remember that other people are not our enemies. We're not competing against them. My wife shared this great story with me. Uh, there's a, a young mom who was at like the food court in a mall, and she was doing her best to get her kids eating the Chick-fil-A nuggets and fries that she'd ordered them. And she's sitting there and she's like, you, you know, every parent who's been in the food court by themselves trying to get multiple kids or even just a single kid to eat something is understands the drama. So she's there and she looked at the table next to her. And there's a mom who's got that little Tupperware thing with individual pre, you know, prepackaged food. And she has the plastic thing she puts on the table. Like her kids are like eating off the ground basically. But this mom has like this plastic wrap. She puts it on her table, pulls out the Tupperware and it's like, you know, fruit. And she has this avocado that she's cutting up and giving individual slices to her kids. And this mom is watching the other mom cutting up the avocado. I mean, she's just getting furious. She's getting so mad. And then her husband leans over to her and goes, She's not cutting the avocado at you. She's not cutting at you, right? Oh my so God, when, so good. when you look at another parent, they're not cutting the avocado at you. They're not right. doing their best with, you know, you know, getting their kids to read or getting their kids to be potty. They're, you know, waking up the right time. Right? They're not doing it at you. We're not in competition with one another. Yeah. Scripture talks about how our battle is never against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. It's not. Like, as a political, like, as a very div divided political country, we need to remember, our enemy is not whoever you think the wrong person is to be friend. That's not your enemy. And it's not the people at the food court who are giving worse or better nutrition to their kids. They're not your enemy. The people who have the better life to the worst life, they're not your enemy. There's something else that's pulling us away from God's intention for our world, including our relationships with other people. They're not the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like what you said earlier. It's rarely, the monster is rarely what you're actually dealing with. I have a horrible phobia and my monster is, um, I hate to say the word, but I'm going to have to say it, is vomiting. It is like my big number one monster in life. And um, when I, I was telling this a couple weeks ago, when I talked to somebody, I go, okay, or maybe it was a therapist. I don't remember. Anyway, um, I, I said, I've got this horrible fear. And she said, Debbie, you are fearing something that is upset, obsessing you over something you've done maybe three to five minutes your entire life. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. how often do we do that with every monster we have? The fear of my kids driving. Well, they're 36 and 35, and they're, they're still alive, and they're fine. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, when I was in college, I had this um, 
I was in grad school and I had this uh, neck injury. And uh, one day in class, I had this neck injury that an incident happened two days before. And then I'm in class and my face goes numb, my arm goes numb. And I start having this headache. I start getting nauseous. What it was, I, I slipped uh, a disc in my neck. Yeah. And so I leave class and my wife, who is uh, a nurse, she was gone. And so we have kids at home in grad school. So my wife's at the hospital. And so I call up one of my best friends. His name is Josh Ross. He lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, at the time, we were in school together in, in West Texas. And I say, Josh, I need you to drive me to the hospital. The problem, Debbie, is he had the same phobia of vomit. Like he, he couldn't be around at all. I would have been so like, no, yeah, and, not in my car, yeah, pal. And, and, and I'm nauseous. And, like, I'm throwing up. And so he shows up, and I have my trash can with me as I walk out the front door to nope. get in his truck to go to the ER. And I, you would do this, too. I trust. Debbie, I've known you for so long, 22 minutes, and I know this about you. Exactly. But Josh, for the last 15, 20 years, has talked about that moment as one of the greatest examples of his love for me. And he's not <laughs> wrong. Like, the reason he withstood something he couldn't he, – he, he despised being around is because of love. Like, he is one of my closest friends. He loves me. I love him. And love is what enabled him to go where he didn't want to go or specifically need to get in his car. And I think ultimately when it comes to the things we're most afraid of, love is there. And the promise that we have as people of faith is that there is no darkness that is too dark for God. There is no depth that is too low for God. But God is in all things. And so God's love sustains us. And so the reason that we can go into the dark and go where we don't want to go is because we know that we're not alone. So whatever phobia we have, our faith tells us that we're not facing it by ourselves, but love sustains us in it. Yeah. Wow. Well, can we quote you on that? Because I would love to quote you today. No dark. There's no darkness too dark for God. I don't know if I came up with that first, but I, I definitely say, agree with that. Do you have a patent on that? Did anybody <laughs> copyright this? But I'm going to quote you yeah. on that today, and I'm going to feel good about it, Luke. Well, yes, ma'am. Luke- We have three minutes left uh, for the show, and we just want to thank you so much. We appreciate that you came on today and your crazy schedule, especially during December. But what would be just like a couple of tips that you can share with us to go go out there, especially during the holidays when the monsters, you know, we want it to be this beautiful, cozy, wonderful time. And yet that is when the monsters will definitely work overtime. So what would be a few tips that you can offer to us? Okay, well, first one I would tell you, there's no silver bullets. In, in vampire mythology, if you get a silver bullet, you shoot the vampire, they're done. You know, I think it works for other animals as well. Um, but that doesn't exist in real life. There's no silver bullet that gets away all of our phobias. Debbie's not going to get like one pill and all of a sudden she's going to get over her fear of vomit. It's just not going to work. But what we do have are daily practices. And just as God gives us our daily bread and we pray for our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, I think our prayer needs to be for one day at a time for God to sustain us. And the God who is with us in that darkness is going to be with us for today. And one day at a time, God will transform us. And so this isn't like, hey, I'm going to solve this problem once and for all, but one day at a time, trust that God is going to be with us. Mm. And so I, like, that's the first, first tip I'd give you. Just one day at a time. God will get you through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially through 2020. One day at a time is definitely um, a great tip to share. That and biblical 2020, because one day is like a thousand years in <laughs> 2020. It really is. I'm yep. so <laughs> right. Well, Luke, um, we have been invited to speak at a dessert, a women's dessert next week. 
And what I would like to do is just go ahead and put you on the big screen and you can just wrap up <laughs> everything that we were, we want to talk about next week. You just mm -hmm. said it all. But for whatever reason, you just sounded way more articulate than the way we are going to present it. So we will make that happen. But we, we just want to thank you once again. And for those of you who go ahead, Luke, I never said the name of your book. Share your, your the oh, name of your book. Yeah. It's uh, Befriending Your Monsters. Okay, Befriending Your Monsters and by Luke Norsworthy. Go run and get that. And we just want to say tag your it. Make this year end well and go out there. No silver bullets. Love that. And just one day at a time. Best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.